He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. cry and understanding put forth her voice my name is charlie you may know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer ce dorset and i'm here today to discuss with you the vital function of myth this is the final part of our five-part study of mythology and as always we start with a quote from joseph campbell this is from his book thou art that the fourth function of traditional mythology is to carry the individual through the various stages and crises of life. That is, to help persons grasp the unfolding of life with integrity. This wholeness means that individuals will experience significant events from birth through midlife to death, as in accord with, first, themselves, and secondly, with their culture as well as, thirdly, the universe. And lastly, with the Mysterium Tremendum beyond themselves and all things. That's a mouthful, as so many of these have been. So the vital function of myth is the one that tells you how you should live and what your life means. In the last episode, we talked about the sociological function, which tells you how to act within a society. The vital function differs in that it tells you how to act yourself. It gives your life meaning. What does it mean that you were born? What does it mean when you grew up and achieved adulthood? What does it mean at middle life? What does it mean at old age? What does it mean that we die? These are hard questions. And these are questions that are severely lacking in our world today as we have dropped most religious, spiritual, and philosophical questioning from our lives in favor of a science that cannot answer any of these questions. These are questions outside the realm of science and are questions of philosophy and spirituality. So how does this work? One, my personal favorite way of using mythology is to see your life as a story. And in seeing your life as a story, relating it to other stories that have similar elements. Are you in a place where you feel that everyone is ganging up on you? They're coming after you. No matter what you do, you don't seem to be able to make any headway. This is where the stories of David and Saul come in very important and powerful. Because the question is, who are you in the story of your life? Are you David or are you Saul? Because David was a boy just minding his own business who gets swept up into this world of 
intrigue and politics and eventually warfare where the armies of the king are after him to kill him because he is the rightful successor to the throne even though that's not something that he ever dreamed would be possible this is a person who has to spend a large chunk of their early life in hiding because literally everyone is out to get him with a few exceptions, his beloved Nathan and the few men that follow him? Or are you Saul, who seemingly had everything he could have ever wanted until he slowly and steadily alienates everyone from his life to the point where everyone is out to get him either in his mind or because he was so paranoid that they were out to get him he caused a self-fulfilling prophecy and turned them against him. See, when you're in a situation where you feel like the whole world is out to get you, and sometimes it's just melodramatic paranoia, and sometimes things conspire in your life to actually make that the case, where everything seems to be piling up against you. You read the stories of David and Saul, and the first question you have to ask is, who are you? Because, of course, we want to say we're David, we're innocent, we are wrongfully accused, we never asked for any of this, it's just forced upon us. But sometimes, like when I think about the most significant part of my life where this was true, I was Saul. I was so alienated and aloof from my own life that I didn't realize that I was pushing everyone away from me. But I was. I was doing everything in my power to make sure that nothing good could actually happen to my life. And, yeah, I was Saul. I wasn't David. I wasn't the good guy living in the cave trying to figure out how he can get his life back together. I was the crazy king who... Fortunately for me, didn't decide to go to Endor and consult some witches. And that's the power that you can get from a story, is once you have that realization of who you are in the story, you can see the vital function really starting to communicate to you. And so, maybe I should listen to the advice that Saul was getting. You know? Maybe I should get down off my high horse, and maybe I should actually talk to other people. Maybe I should, yeah, stop pretending that I'm the one being martyred and realize who I'm martyring. But that's only a small part of what we're talking about when we talk about the vital function of myth. Part of it also is dealing with, you know, what is marriage and looking at the stories that we get handed down to us from the tradition, looking at the Song of Solomon and realizing the steamy nature of relationships that are put forward in the scripture. And if you've never read that particular book, I, I highly recommend that you keep a fan handy because it, it's, it's, it's not safe for children and it's a little steamy. <laughs> And it's why you never hear anybody talk about it. I mean, when was the last time you heard a sermon or a speech delivered out of the Song of Solomon? Well, 
it makes a modern sensibility uncomfortable to think of sex and sexuality as something that can be good and pleasurable and something that we should go after and experience. And that's a lot of what that book is about. So that's why you don't hear much about it. But the stories are there. And starting to find those stories and coalesce, coalesce around them. You know, this is what confirmation is supposed to do for most people in their life. Confirmation is supposed to be akin to a Jewish bar bat mitzvah, where you are becoming an adult. But we don't treat it that way because we have lost our respect for ritual, for ceremony. And really, it's in the vital function of myth that ceremony really comes in. In some of the others, it can be helpful, but here especially, ritual is so important because the ritual is the enactment of the myth. It's not a remembrance of it. It's a participation in it. So when we go through confirmation, we are meant to go through experience a trauma that makes us into an adult. In fact, at one point in most liturgies, the bishop is supposed to smack you, slap you right across the face. And we look at that and we go, oh, how barbaric. No, that is supposed to give you something to remember. It is a wake up. You are not a child anymore. You have to grow up. But of course, we invented the teen years, and so a lot of those rituals that happened at 13 don't seem to make as much sense to us anymore in the modern world because we have added a prolonged adolescence that agrarian societies couldn't afford, to be quite honest. And so the question comes to us today when we're looking at this vital function of mythology are we wrong in having a, an extended childhood like we have? Or do we need to reconstruct the stories and the rituals to reflect the fact that we have an extended childhood? Do we need to recontextualize certain events around high school graduation or maybe even college? Because without the ritual, and people who have never really experienced this have a hard time grasping it without experiencing the ritual without enacting the myth without playing your part in the sacred story there is a psychological disconnection between you and the story between you and what it is trying to convey to you about what is going on in your life right now you can see this very well with marriage in marriage, two people come together, they say their vows, they exchange rings, they are now pronounced spouses, and you see marriage as just this set of things, they're like tick marks that you go through. Because we have made marriage so much more about what is everyone going to wear, what's the food going to be like at the, at the catered event that follows and sometimes even precedes because you have the strange tradition of rehearsal dinners. We spend a lot of time talking about bachelor parties, which I think are an interesting modern ritual in and of themselves, kind of a last hurrah for the friends 
of this person before they become a new person as part of a new relationship. But we definitely don't think about, the, think about it that way. We just think about it as a night of frivolity rather than a potentially vital ritual to help cement the bonds of friendship before the person goes into this new relationship, this new commitment of marriage and family. And because we no longer see the importance of ritual, we don't ask these questions. We're not looking into how we can reinterpret the stories and reimagine the rituals and the practices that help us along the way. And so we're left with questions. People ask, what good is marriage? What is the point of marriage? Why are people fighting for marriage? And it, I don't know how to answer that question without giving into some of the more unsavory characteristics of our society. I can talk about the legal rights and legal responsibilities and make it a case of law, which in many of the court cases, it was a case of law. But because we've lost this idea of marriage as a social institution, it's hard to make an argument on the basis of the social institution itself. Because the average person doesn't understand what you're talking about. Marriage is just, well, it's that thing that you do. You know, it's like, what's that song say? Love and marriage goes together like a horse and carriage. You know, it's just, eh, you love somebody, you eventually get married. It's that thing you do. But this is one of those great trials of life. This is one of those great moments in our life that helps give meaning and purpose to the events that we're going through. Why do you christen a child? And so this is the world that we live in. This is the world that we find ourselves in. And it's a world that we need to reinvest our time and energy into these rites of passage. What does it mean to retire? This is a question we as a society have never asked ourselves. I mean, the closest we ever came to was maybe the Golden Girls, though they all had jobs. So with the exception of Sophia, who even she did a lot of volunteering. So in a way, she even had a job. We as a society have never really asked the question. This is a whole new phase of life that we have invented for ourselves because we've extended our life expectancy. What are the stories that should go along with this? What are the rituals that should go along with this? Is it the old fashioned, you know, here's your pocket watch retirement party? Should it be more? This podcast isn't really the venue well, this episode of the podcast is not really the venue for me to speculate on things like that too much. But these are questions that we need to be having. These are questions that we need to be discussing. Because we have lost so much meaning. And it's one of the reasons, I think, that we find so much drug use in the society. Because people want to escape their meaningless, purposeless lives. Well... What did we expect would happen when we very carefully dismantled 
all of the meaning and purpose from life. We don't tell the old stories. And even when we do, we always start with, by the way, you know this is a lie. Because, like we discussed in the first episode, people misunderstand what a metaphor is. A metaphor is a gateway to truth, not a lie. And so here we are. Here's where we've come to. The vital function of myth is the one that has been lost and forgotten most in our culture, in our society, in our religions, and especially in our spiritualities, where we say foolish things like, I'm spiritual but not religious. What that means is, I study things, but I don't participate in them. That's really what you're saying. The word religion comes from the Latin religio, which means to link back. That's what these practices are supposed to do, is link us back, give us our sense of purpose, give us our sense of place, give us a way to understand what it is that's going on in us and around us. But no, we're fine with saying, I don't need all of that religion stuff. And whether it's a secular ritual or a more religious ritual. We need those rituals. We need those stories. Without them, there is nothing to hold us together. And so in the absence of this vital function of myth, with the absence of the mystical function of myth, in the absence of the cosmological function of myth, we have focused almost exclusively on the sociological function, the ethical function of myth. And that's all we talk about. Because when everything else falls apart, ethics is the one thing that still allows people to feel, even if it's a little bit, a sense of place, a sense of purpose, a sense of belonging. And so we overemphasize the ethical and sociological functions of myth to the breaking point where we're pushing it far beyond anything that it was ever intended or capable of being. And we wonder why it feels like everything is falling apart. And this is going to have to start small. It really is. There, there is no top-down solution for this. And in fact, for a lot of the issues that we've discussed... There is no top-down solution ever. We are going to have to find ways to reconnect ourselves to the stories of our faith. We are going to have to reinvent and reinvigorate the rituals of our faith. And in so doing, find that meaning and purpose again. Find that strength that used to come from, this, from them. To find that sense of belonging and purpose to find that meaning that explains and helps us understand why is it that things are happening. Because that is the number one question that you hear nowadays is why, why, why did this happen? Why did this happen? If you want to have a very interesting time, start going back and look at natural disasters and man-made disasters through history. You'll notice that those why questions don't start popping up until the 1900s. Those why questions 
don't start becoming the major question. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? How could this happen? We don't start asking them till much later. It takes the disillusion of our mythic structures and our ritual structures to cause us to forget why did this happen to the point where now we mock the answer and the answer may not be fully satisfactory anymore. But after every man-made disaster, especially you'll hear some evangelical say it's because we are sinful by nature. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. And if you want to see me talk about that more, look at our series on creation spirituality or intro to creation spirituality. But that is traditionally the answer that our society had. People are just bad, so that's why bad things happen. That's why they do bad things. Again, probably not a satisfactory answer, but it used to be the answer that people just accepted. And so they didn't even ask, why is this happening? In fact, if you look at older stories, you'll see that more often than not, they would ask, why hasn't this happened more often? And it's strange that this isn't happening all the time. It's a strange shift that has happened as we have denigrated and destroyed the basic things that give meaning, purpose, and utility to life. It's going to take us some time to rebuild, but we will. We will get there in the end. And that's one of the main things that I am planning on doing with this podcast is spending time explaining, sharing, and at least, if nothing else, giving my views to the answers of these questions. And now that we've discussed the basics of mythology, we're going to actually dig into mythology and ritual very specifically in the episodes to come. I can't wait for that. I want to thank you for listening. If we've helped you please help us out. Spread the word. Let other people know about us. We just got added to the Google Play Store. We finally cut our approval over there. So if that's how you or your friends listen, you can now subscribe to us over there. Um, we are also getting into a few others. We should be in, available in Stitcher and I believe Downcast we are now in. So you should be able to find us in those too. If there are any podcast directories or apps that we're not available in that you would like us to be please let me know it's hard to track down all of them <laughs> as always you can subscribe in itunes or just grab the rss at our website you can follow me at on, at twitter i am at wisdom's cry over there and you can find a link to this podcast our previous episodes and everything that we're doing at our website at wisdomscry.com as always, thank you so, so much for listening. I'll see you next week. God bless. Amen.